Welcome to the Short Fuse podcast, produced by Elizabeth Howard and distributed by the Arts Fuse, the online journal of arts commentary and criticism. Our conversations are with artists, writers, musicians, and others whose work reveals our communities through their lens and stirs us to seek change. James Baldwin said, artists are here to disturb the peace. I'm Elizabeth Howard, your host. We engage, we explore, we ask questions. In this Short Fuse podcast, I'm in conversation with Brian Halperin and Howard Sherman around America's modern play, Our Town. Brian is a playwright, drama teacher, and a co-founder and producer for the Powerhouse Theater Collaborative, an initiative of the Belknap Mill in Laconia, New Hampshire. The Powerhouse is also the resident theater company of the recently renovated Colonial Theater in downtown Laconia. Brian was a co-founder of the Winnipesaukee Playhouse. For anyone who's enjoyed summer theater in New Hampshire, you may have seen one of Brian's productions, and he has been awarded six New Hampshire Theater Awards. Howard Sherman is a theater director, manager, and columnist. He's the American columnist for the Stage Newspaper in London, and his writing has appeared in The Guardian, American Theater Magazine, Encore Monthly, and Lit Hub, among many others. He is the author of Another Day's Begun, Thornton Wilder's Our Town in the 21st Century, published this year by Methuen Drama, and available at Gibson's Bookstore in Concord, New Hampshire, or at your local independent bookstore. Brian and Howard, I have been looking forward to this conversation around our town. You know, Thornton Wilder, of course, was both a novelist and a playwright who explores the connection between the commonplace and the cosmic dimension of human experience. And he received a Pulitzer Prize for drama for our town and then the Pulitzer Prize for literature for The Bridge of San Luis Rey. His play, Matchmaker, became Hello, Dolly, and he received the gold medal for fiction from the American Academy of Arts and Letters. I, this summer, led a reading of the Our Town in a literary group that met on Randall's Island in New York City. And in August, I had an opportunity to attend a performance by the Peterborough Players, staged in downtown Peterborough, New Hampshire, Grover's Corners. When the stage manager in this production, the lead character in the play, points out the churches congregational, Baptist, and Catholic, we could look around and see a church spire. And as we were sitting on the lawn just behind the Peterborough Town Hall and the post office, there wasn't a necessity to dip into the imagination to think of the scene. Thornton Wilder, of course, had spent time in Peterborough as a fellow at the McDowell Colony. He was there from 1924 to 1953, nine times. And he worked on our town at McDowell and in Zurich, Switzerland. The play premiered in Princeton, New Jersey on January 22nd, 1938, at a two-week run at the Wilbur Theater in Boston before moving to Broadway in New York. Howard, the history of this play is just fascinating, as is your book. You write in the introduction, what are the reasons we keep returning to this barest sliver of life at the turn of the 20th century? How does a play set in what was an all-white, patriarchal, Protestant, semi-rural small town in New England managed to speak to audiences more than 80 years on? That's the question that I asked in the book. I'm not necessarily the person to answer it. The whole point in doing my book was that I spoke with about 115 people who've been involved in productions of the play in the past 20 years. 
to ask them what it meant. And it was fascinating to hear their journeys with the play from people who said that the moment they heard they might be involved in a production of Our Town were just thrilled because they'd loved it since they were a teenager, and other people who vociferously disliked the play, and in some cases did it because there was no other play to choose from in community theater setting, or because professionally, when you have an opportunity to work, you work. Everybody came to the same place, that the play is not about its little details that tie it to New Hampshire at the turn of the 20th century, but rather its broader view of life and humanity. And those aspects don't change over time. I thought the Sing Sing chapter was particularly interesting. How does someone who's incarcerated for life look at where they're going to be and and the sense of time? The men who were in our town Four out of the five that I interviewed for the book are on parole. They are back in the world. The last of the five is due to get out in the next year or so. But their perspective on time, on being taken away from the world, the opportunity to return to the world, they have a perspective on this play that obviously I hope many of us never have to have. but. It's, it's pretty unique. And yet, fundamentally, what they've taken away from it is no different from an actor who may have been hired for a production of it in Ashland, Oregon. Ryan, before we talk about the powerhouse production of our town being performed, it's actually the weekend of November 19th and 21st. There's a Friday night production, Saturday, and then a Sunday matinee on the 21st. I thought you could talk a little bit about the Colonial Theater opened in 1914 in Laconia. It's kind of an aside that our town is set in 1913, interestingly. And for many years, the colonial was vacant, kind of an eyesore in the center of downtown. And then seven years ago, in 2015, the city of Laconia announced a partnership with the Belknap Economic Development Council to purchase and renovate the colonial in a real historic preservation. It's a catalyst to renovate downtown Laconia. And to encourage the arts. You've played a major role, Brian. Perhaps you can tell us a little more about that. In 1914, a man named Benjamin Piscopo built it. At the time, it was written up in the papers, just like they say in our town. All the papers covered it, and it was said to be the nicest theater north of Boston. Like many old vaudeville houses, it became a movie theater with one big screen, and eventually, in the, I think, early 80s, it transformed into a multiplex where they divided up the space into five different theaters. But luckily, they did it in a way that didn't destroy the structural and historical integrity of the building. Then it sat vacant for about 20 years or maybe even a little more. Mm. Home to pigeons and other (laughs) uh, nasty creatures. And it was a big sort of gaping hole in the center of Main Street, Laconia. It's funny, our town's all about the goings-on of Main Street and the Grover's Corners, and this was a, a missing piece in, the, in Main Street in Laconia. And yes, uh, the city and the BEDC got together, put a team together to fundraise and go for grants and tax credits and put a package together to purchase the building and then restore it. They took a lot of care in the historical preservation of it, and it's Beautiful in just the way it would have looked in 1914, except with wider aisles and more comfortable seats. 
It's a beautiful, historic-looking theater with modern amenities, and it's probably one of the nicest theaters north of Boston. I was on the mayor's advisory committee when it was being renovated, and it was so important to us that the community was involved. And of course, it was a mill town, Laconia, and so Belknap Mill has been completely renovated as a cultural center as well. So you're, you're working with both. Our program, Powerhouse Theater Collaborative, we named it for the powerhouse of the mill, which is still intact and part of the museum features of, of the Belknap Mill. The Belknap Mill has become, for since the early 1970s, when it was saved from the wrecking ball, it's been a nonprofit that has served as a historic and cultural and artistic home for many different groups in Laconia. My wife, Johanna, and I were doing some artist-in-residence small theater pieces at the mill, and when the opportunity came along to be part of the Colonial, we said, rather than starting a new organization, why don't we expand our program at the mill? We gave it an official title. And then as a function of the mill, we made an agreement with the management company of the Colonial to become the resident theater company at both mostly workshops, stage readings, playwriting, festivals, things like that, smaller pieces at the mill. And then we'll be doing our larger productions like Our Town at the Colonial. Howard, you've been the director of the American Theater Wing and the O'Neill Theater Center. Your entire career has been in the theater. Can you speak a little bit to the benefit of theater to a community? Sure, but let me just, to be clear, I'm not a theater director. I am an administrator. I've been a managing director, but I'm not, I'm not an artist. I don't want anyone to be confused or any of my friends who know me calling you and saying, oh, Howard doesn't, <laughs> shouldn't direct. I think the value of theater to the community, I think the value of the arts to a community, I, I don't want to be so parochialist to only speak to theater, is it's been proven time and time again that especially in communities that need an economic center to them, that above and beyond stores and business offices, in order to keep the centers of communities alive, both the physical center often and, and the spiritual center, that, that the arts are the way to do it. The arts create a gathering place. They create a common ground. And they are in and of themselves an economic driver. Because if people are coming to the theater, then they are coming to that vicinity. They may live in suburbs or exurbs or, or rural communities in the area, but it draws them down and there is spin-off business to everything from parking meters to restaurants to, to local stores. So there is an enormous drawing power that live theater has, and then it can function in so many different ways because if it's a professional tour coming into town, that's one kind of if it's a place where the people in the community create art, that may be another kind of draw. And in fact, in some ways, that one can be more valuable because that is often how people are first introduced to the theater. I'm always very careful to point out, it's not that I ever want everyone who encounters the performing arts to seek careers in the performing arts. In fact, I think that would be very problematic. But exposure to the performing arts, the building of the next generation of audiences for the performing arts is vital. And yes, some people may be inspired and moved and choose to make it their life, as I did seeing theater in New Haven, Connecticut. But 
We need those audiences. And to be perfectly frank, we need those donors. So they have to have the opportunity to see what it's all about. And whether they see it when they're five or 15 or 55, that that opportunity can create such a core in a community economically, physically, and spiritually. It's no surprise that the NEA has run a program for years called the Big Read, in which they foster the idea that everyone in a particular community will read the same book. So everyone in town can have a common ground. And one of the very first projects that they chose for that was indeed our town. In fact, I think it's after a decade finally rolling off of of their list. But this play itself has allure and has messages that also strengthen the community. So it's no surprise to find it being done very frequently right now as theaters reopen after 18 months. There's something about this play. In fact, the first professional production of our town since pandemic lockdowns began was actually in in Brisbane, Australia at uh, Queensland Theatre Company. And so even in Australia, the feeling was we're coming back and we need to come back with our town. Well, Brian, that is exactly what you're doing in Laconia because you have open casting. It must be exciting and challenging to work with all of the community for the, for the casting. How has that been and how are the rehearsals going? It's going great so far. We have 40 people in the cast that range from, I think, the youngest is 10 and the oldest is north of 70. And how far north, I wouldn't say even if I knew. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And more importantly, it ranges from people who have never done a play before to people who've done dozens of plays. Ironically, we were always thinking our town would be our first big production at the Colonial, even before the pandemic hit, for the very reason that it is a play about community. And it's one of the few plays that has the ability to put 40 people in it if they want to be. Some of the people don't even necessarily even have to have any acting talent. They can sit in the, in the graveyard scene. They can sing in the choir at the church. It's a play built for an ensemble that doesn't require 40 people, but can certainly accommodate 40 people. And Johan and I, when we were building our new group, we said we were going to start with our town because that's the best way to get a whole bunch of people involved and learning about your group in a way that it can still be an excellent production, even if you've got 10 people in it who've never been on stage before. Mm-hmm. Once the pandemic hit and things got delayed and we didn't know when we'd be starting, and then we started reading things like Howard was referencing, how a lot of theaters go back to our town after times of trouble or stressors on a community when the arts return they turn to things like our town for comfort so that sort of ended up being an added bonus but just shows that our town can be the really perfect play for building community no matter what the circumstances because so many people can be involved in it and this is the second time i've directed our town the first time was performed in february 2006 it's a play that grows with you My perspective on the world, my perspective on human nature and people, my perspective on parenting is different 15 years later than the last time. And that comes through in in new meanings in the lines and in the relationships between people. It's in the title. I mean, it's about community. And our town is is a great way to get a community involved in a production. And we've taken that a step further by partnering with several other nonprofits in Laconia to create, as Howard said, the arts is not just about theater. We are doing a, an art exhibit at the mill. 
an online component where people can send in video stories or dances or anything inspired by Laconia. We're calling it the, the Celebrate Our Town Laconia Project. And it's just a group of nonprofits in Laconia that want to be part of the sort of the renaissance of bringing the arts back to Laconia and can contribute with photography or storytelling, children's artworks that the schools are going to send in to the mill to be exhibited. So we're actually expanding beyond just the theater production of our town to really look at other ways that people in our community can come together around the arts to celebrate our town. You've cast a woman named Heather Bullimore as the stage manager, which is quite a role. I mean, it's a role that Paul Newman has filled and Frank Sinatra in the movie have. Is she a professional? No, actually, this is a fantastic story about being involved in the arts in the community. Heather Hunt at the time was an eight-year-old girl who came in to audition for one of our first youth theater productions back at the Playhouse and was in Schoolhouse Rock Live and spent her whole childhood doing theater with us at our old theater, and then went off to college to study theater, went to grad school to study theater, got married and moved back to the area. And this was her first audition back in the Lakes region. She earned the part of the stage manager. One of the things that's interesting about her, she's a 25-year-old woman. That's clearly not the traditional way that the stage manager is played. But of course, the beauty of the stage manager is it can be played by anyone. It really offers me a fresh take at how to look at the stage manager and the stage manager's connection to the piece. Because the last time I did it, I had the more traditional 60 plus adult male. But it's also just great to see how theater builds a community where I can work with somebody I've been, you know, I worked with first when she was eight years old. And now she's a grown married lady and, and still loving theater and, and still being involved and back to being part of our theater community, even though she went away and came back. This time, nine years have gone by, friends. Summer, 1913. Gradual changes in Grover's Corners. Horses are getting rarer. Farmers coming into town in Fords. Everybody locks their house doors now at night. Ain't been any burglars in town yet, but everybody's heard about them. You'd be surprised, though. On the whole, things don't change much around here. This is certainly an important part of Grover's Corners. It's on a hilltop. A windy hilltop. Lots of sky, lots of clouds, often lots of sun and moon and stars. You come up here on a fine afternoon, and you can see range on range of hills. Awful blue they are, up there by Lake Sunapee and Lake Winnipesaukee. And way up, if you've got a glass, you can see the White Mountains and Mount Washington, where North Conway and Conway is. And of course, our favorite mountain, Mount Monadnock's right here, and all these towns that lie around it. Jaffrey and East Jaffrey and Peterborough and Dublin. And there, quite a ways down, is Grover's Corners. Yes, beautiful spot up here. Mountain laurel and lilacs. I often wonder why people like to be buried in Woodlawn in Brooklyn when they might pass the same time up here in New Hampshire. Howard, one of the sections in your book, you talk about the production in Manchester, England. May 22nd, 2017, a suicide bomber detonated an explosive vest outside of an arena where there'd been a concert. And more than 22 people died and hundreds were injured. And then, what, four months later, the Royal Exchange Theater in Manchester began 
performances for a production of Our Town to help heal and bring the community together. It's really amazing the way it's been used this way. There's no question that people look to Our Town in a lot of ways. Brian used the word comfort, and I'm not entirely sure that all people find comfort in Our Town because people's memory of Our Town is always of the first two acts, which are very prosaic. And while I won't detail the third act, in case there are people who have never encountered Our Town before and they should experience it for the first time in Brian's production, I will say that Our Town is not. Our Town is a challenging play in many ways. It makes you, it forces you to think deeply about life in general and your own life. But what has happened, it seems over and over again, that when there is stress in a community, when there is tragedy in a community, people are drawn back in the same way that our town is about rebirth, in that, that those positive experiences, the reopening of a theater. Our town happens a lot. New buildings, closures for the pandemic, what have you. The experience in Manchester was such that the town was in deep mourning for this incredible physical and psychic wound on the community. And Sarah Francom, who ran the Royal Exchange at the time, said, I think we need to do our town. I think it's the right play in this moment. Interestingly, she loved the play. As a teacher, she taught the play many times. She never directed it. And she intentionally... The core of the show were were professional actors, but they also have a youth company, non-professionals, and they have a seniors company of non-professionals. And she brought them all together so that it truly was Manchester, England, doing our town. And people spoke with their own accents. They didn't pretend to be Americans. So that hopefully it resonated for people in a very interesting way. And Brian alluded to the fact that when you think of our town, those of you who know the play, think of an older man in a tweed vest, or maybe, you know, maybe a pat smoking a pipe as the stage manager. But in fact, the script has no specifications beyond some costuming that tell you anything about the stage manager. It's the biggest role in the show. And the stage manager has no story arc, has no characteristics, has no we know nothing. The stage manager is a cipher as to who that person is. So who you pour into that role then affects how you perceive the entire play. And in the case of of Sarah Francon's production in Manchester, she intentionally cast a very large man of Middle Eastern descent at a time when Terrorism was very much on the minds of people in that town. It was important to her that the guide for Manchester at that moment, which had suffered a terrorist bombing, and interestingly enough, had suffered a terrorist bombing 20 years earlier as well, which in that case had actually damaged the theater. It was very important to her to have a man named Yusuf Kerkour be your guide. And to be, as he was, as warm and welcoming as he could be to show that the violence was visited on the community by one person, 
And we have to look beyond what one person of what particular heritage might have done and realize that there are others who can be our guides, our comforts, our friends. I agree with Howard about the stage manager. And as a director, that's, to me, the most exciting part of directing our town is finding your connection with your actor playing the stage manager. Who are they and what is their connection to this piece? Imbues all the meaning into your production of our town. Creating the connection between your stage manager, which has no backstory in the script, has no personality other than delivering key information as well as the moral message of the play. But you get to sort of invoke whatever you want working with that actor to, to create that. And I also just want to go back about comfort. I guess when I say comfort, it's not that the play itself is all comforting. There's a line where the stage manager says, some of the things they say might upset you. But I think where I say our town is comforting is, it's a reminder that human beings have faced the hardships throughout history. There's always been hardships to face, and somehow we've always persevered, and times will get better. Thornwilder was writing this in 1938 in Europe, a lot of it, and he, he was seeing the rise of fascism, and I think he was foreseeing that we were humanity was heading to a precipice again, but it's not the first time we've been in a precipice and it won't be the last. So I think touching back with the, the touchstones of our town, the daily life, the love and marriage, the routines that most human beings go through in a lifetime, to me, that's comforting, even though the play itself isn't all just about nice things. And in fact, it's about very many not nice things as well. I look for every opportunity to invoke my favorite lines from the play which come during one of the stage manager's monologues in Act One, which is, this is the way we were. This is the way we were in the provinces north of New York, beginning of the 20th century. This is the way we were in our growing up and in our marrying and in our living and in our dying. And that, those basic things of life, and in fact, marrying is even more expansive than it was in the days uh, that Thornton Wilder wrote this play, those are the fundamentals that everyone shares for the most part. Uh, no, the play is a little insistent about everybody going two by two through life. and Not everyone has that, but we all do grow up and we all do live and we all do die. And so if a play goes to that core commonality of who we are, it cannot help but speak to people year after year after year. And Brian and I have talked a little bit, you know, there's the puzzle of our town. People think it's this little picture postcard to New Hampshire, and it's not. We have to look closely at this play. And I'm not saying the audience does. Go to the play, just experience the play. But if you want to, look at all of the little hints that are dropped through the play about what's going on and the things that are not clear about the play, things that are left unspoken. There's a lot unspoken, which for a director, of course, is wonderful because you can fill it as you see fit. And, and I'm, I am of the belief that the most important character in our town is you, the audience member, because this is in fact a play directed at you. There is constant direct address by the stage manager, and the scenes only play as long as the stage manager feels it, they need to, to make a point for you to see. 
And, and what I, what drew me ultimately to write about the play was this, this sort of fascinating metaphysicality of the play and the way it has acted on me when I have seen it. The first thing the stage manager says is, we're doing the play Our Town by Thornton Wilder. And there are places in these monologues where she, not just addressing the audience, but actually speaking to be heard by the audience about what's coming and what they should be thinking about and how to connect it to their own lives. In the wedding scene, I asked the stage manager when the wedding guests on stage stand for the bride to come down the aisle, I'm asking her to motion for the audience and give them the opportunity to stand if they would like to as well. This is a play where the audience is the character because they're part of the community that this story is being told about. And it also is a play that is very much, death is always present in this play. Right at the beginning, stage manager says it in the first three pages that we're going to meet Doc Gibbs and Mrs. Gibbs and Joe Crowell, and here's how they die. We know before we've even met these characters that they die. So death is a, a continued presence about it because it's part of the life cycle. The play starts with the birth and goes through the, the cycle of human life. You note in your book, Howard, that Eleanor Roosevelt, when she attended her performance, wrote in her column, My Day, I was moved and depressed beyond words. It is more interesting and more original, and I'm glad I saw it, but I did not have a pleasant evening. And then Kate Smith, who is a popular singer and also radio host, wrote, I loved every minute of our town. I wept all through the last act at the simple, fragile beauty of an almost perfect piece of work. So I think that Wilder wanted to really reach out to this wider audience and force the spectator to create his own setting and his imagination, his own personal experience. And I read Thornton Wilder spoke at Harvard in 1951, and he said, all literature is one expression of one human life experience. All the languages in the world are but local differentiations of one planetary tongue. That idea that you can take from this play, that's why I use the word when I introduced this, that it was a modern play because what he was able to do at the time that he was writing it was just strip everything away. And as I've been thinking about it, when you think of so much contemporary literature today, contemporary theater incorporates so much of what's happening to us now and the culture and the politics. And this doesn't. It's one of the reasons that it's so beautiful. Well, Grover's Corners is basically a stand-in for any community of human beings at any time in any place. That's another recurring theme throughout the stage manager's monologues. She's constantly setting Grover's Corners in a place in time and a place geographically, constantly reminding us that there's ancestors and descendants, there's Babylon, and then there's it's the stars. People a thousand years from now, from Grover's Corners to the mind of God, I'm sure a lot of the people who are performing in it had not read the play necessarily, particularly the younger ones. What is their response? Do they express what they're feeling about it or how they're experiencing it at all? There is so much to it that I, th I, I think it's impossible for a 10-year-old to get the whole thing, but I, I hope they just feel a connection to it. And, you know, later on down the road, a light bulb will come up. You know, it's funny. I actually, in the, at the end of the book, issue a bit of a mea culpa. 
for saying something along those lines. I'd written a piece about our town, not knowing I'd ever be writing a book, but I'd written a piece in 2017 for American Theater Magazine. And I did question whether all of these high school kids who saw it could fully appreciate it. And let me tell you, here's how I learned my lesson. When I was interviewing the kids who did the youth theater production at Theater Baton Rouge, talked to one young man who at the time was 13 years old. He told me that it was the first anniversary of the death of his best friend from a shooting. He understood this play. I pray that young people don't experience tragedy at that age. I did not experience tragedy of that kind at that age. I lost elderly relatives. But believe me, there are young people today who can absolutely and sadly get this play completely. It's just a question. Each person who sees this play will respond to it based on their own experience. I didn't fully respond to the play until I saw David Cromer's production when I was still in my 40s. And second time I saw it, wept copiously and thoroughly for Act 3. And then again, when I saw it at Sing Sing Prison, I was so overwhelmed by the play there that I started crying at the start of the wedding and didn't stop until the end of the play. So having gone from someone who was fairly indifferent to the play the first time I saw it when I was about 26, you know, thought it was fine, thought that it was a classic, to someone who just can be ripped open by this play. It's just a question of when, where we are in our lives, as Brian said, when we see it in our lives, and in some cases, maybe what has just happened in our lives. I think that that's a lot of the truth about how art can affect you at different points in life. Because obviously, the older you get, the more you're going to have lost people who are close to you, and the more and the closer you are to the end. Anything that sort of makes you think about death and eternity, like Act Three does in in our town, is going to have a different result with you depending on what your human experiences are. So we don't scare everybody away from your production, Brian. Yes. We contemplate every aspect of life in our town, but it is fundamentally life-affirming and is fundamentally a call to action to everyone who sees it. And I give nothing away. This is a play that does not hide what it wants you to take away. It says it very bluntly. But this is a play that wants you to appreciate everything you have and everything that's going on around you. And as people who have, depending on exactly where you live, spent the better part of a year or a year and a half with their life limited in some way by COVID, this is a play that reminds you when you can to just get out and appreciate even the simple pleasures, the birds, the flowers, nature, and the people you can be with. So many people were separated from us. How we go back now, how we are going back now to reconnect is all part of what our town wants us to do. And it's part of what it does. I have never, with all respect to Mrs. Roosevelt, I do not find it a depressing. I find it 
play that that wants to shake me out of my everyday and remind me that there is such beauty in our lives. And sometimes we cannot see the forest for the trees. I think it's the life-affirming play. Yes. There are some sad moments, but ultimately it's a reminder to leave that theater and embrace the time you have left and the people in your town, you know, the people in your life. Absolutely. And it's kind of great to leave this play during the daytime, not when it's dark out, but when you leave this play, the colors are brighter mm-hmm. of the world. The, the, the sounds are more vivid. And for a work of art, not to want you to appreciate its colors, its vividness, but to want you to leave the theater and experience your life differently. It is, I mean, I call the play, I refer to the play as having a secular theology. This play is a sermon, a a wonderful sermon that exhorts us to, to experience our lives in different ways. In 83 years since this play premiered, and clearly, considering how widely it is still being done and how frequently it's being done right now, clearly a lot of people seem to feel it works that way. And hopefully it will, it will work that way on so many of the people who, who see Brian's productions. And again, to what, what I learned from my conversations for the book it's not just a job for people who do this play. This play changes the people who are in it. This has been really a fascinating conversation. And I certainly, Brian, will be at the Colonial on the opening night, November 19th. Great. Howard, I just loved your book, Another Day's Begun. And I just highly recommend it to anyone interested in this in this play or just interested in kind of the history of something like this. So I I thought we'd end our conversation, Brian, if you would just read something from the play. The last few lines of the stage manager. There are the stars doing their old, old crisscross journeys in the sky. Scholars haven't settled the matter yet, but they seem to think there are no living beings up there, just chalk or fire. Only this one is straining away straining away all the time to make something of itself. The strain's so bad that every 16 hours, everybody lies down and gets a rest. Hmm, 11 o'clock in Grover's Corners. You get a good rest too. Good night. That was wonderful. Thank you to both of you. This was a really interesting conversation, Brian. I just can't wait to see the production. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed the conversation and I look forward to seeing you there. Good, okay. Bye, Howard. Bye-bye. Brian, good luck. If you have enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe. You can connect with us through Elizabeth Howard at eh at elizabethhoward.com. You can find us on Spotify and on Apple, on Simplecast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Join us next time when we engage, explore, and ask questions.